Hi, I'm Wadeen Koenig-Bricker. I'm an editor and author, a studier of life, a lover of cats in Egypt. And today on Curiosity Bites, we're going to be talking about Egyptology and icons and saints because of my new book, Dinner Party with the Saints. But we're also going to be talking about words and how words matter and about how your life is changed by the words you use. And we're going to touch upon current events and probably a few other things as well, like foods that might have been interesting in ancient times. Join us, stay tuned. Welcome back. This episode is brought to you in part by The Awesome Music Project, bringing music, story, and mental health together. All proceeds from the, the Awesome Music Project campaign go to music and mental health research initiatives. You can find out more about this beautiful, awesome music project coffee table book in the usual places like Amazon and all the bookstores. The book features stories from some amazing folks like astronaut Chris Hadfield, but also from uh, uh, award-winning artists like Michael Bublé and Sarah McLaughlin. Uh, you just simply go over to the Awesome Music Project, uh, the AMP Foundation. You can find out about both at www.theawesomemusicproject.com. And now you can find out about getting the book, you can find out about being part of the foundation and supporting the Mental Health Initiative. I want to welcome you back to this particular episode. We're in part two of our episode with Woodine Kornick Bricker. Wow, I always have a problem with that, that, that hyphenated name. Um, she is our guest on this delicious episode. She is the author of somewhere around 13 books of her own and more than she could possibly remember of other people's. She is the she's been an editor for national magazines. She's written hundreds of magazine and newspaper articles. On top of that, she's a highly respected Catholic historian as well as an Egyptologist. So we're going to dive into part two of this, book, uh, of this uh, show, and your book is called Dinner with the Saints. So you've written a lot of books about Catholicism. You've written a lot of other books, and I just want to make sure that everybody understands that, that you're not exclusively a Catholic author. You've done all kinds of other books, including about people who, uh, you, I mean, what was that, what was that, that movie um, where he wrote on the Polaroids? What was it called? Uh, it, it was, uh, as people are listening, they'll know exactly what the movie is, but he can't remember anything from one oh, day. Oh, oh, yes. Oh, uh, you're talking about uh, 31st Dates. And, uh, the no, no, that's one movie, but there's another one where, um, with Guy, uh, the, uh, the Australian guy, and he can't remember anything, so he writes every, takes a Polaroid and writes on it. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, and you wrote a book about somebody who's actually really experienced I, that. I helped, I helped someone write it, write their book. Yeah, uh, right, and Henry Curdo about. It's called "But I Know I Love You," uh, and his wife lost her memory completely. It was completely wiped out. Her hippocampus was completely wiped out when she had their child. And so, yes, I've written that book about their life and all the struggles. Helped write the, that book about all their life and all the struggles they've gone through. So, yeah, yeah. And, and other books too that are just yeah. that are not basically around Catholicism. Oh. So we want people to understand that, you know, you are a very, very accomplished um, author as well. But I want to jump into this book, Dinner with the Saints. So let's, I guess we got to address the first thing, uh, which is, all right, I'm a Muslim, I'm a Jew, I'm a Sikh, I'm a Hindu, I'm an atheist, I'm a something other than a Catholic, why would I read a book about dinner with the saints? Who gives a poop? 
valid question. Right. Um, and certainly one that needs to be asked. And it was one that I asked before I wrote the book. Sure. And so there were a couple of things that were going on. I didn't have a, a necessarily a overwhelming burning desire to make sure that this was limited just to Catholic saints. That wasn't part mm -hmm. of my goal in life, but it was a trope. I needed to get people together in some reason. And then, you know, I'm part of a Western culture and I'm part of a, of a tradition, you know, that the background in Catholicism. So the logical place to put these people together would be in heaven. Mm. And, and, uh, I mean, it seemed more logical than any place else. And, um, so I also then said, well, I'm going to choose people that for that trope are known to, are, are said to be in heaven so that mm. I don't have to deal with an argument about people saying, well, why did you put so-and-so, you know, didn't want to have to deal with that whole thing okay. uh, that, so that was that was part of the structuring of the book um but why would you care about saints well first of all the saints whether you understand it or not were influential people in their own time mm -hmm. uh, we tend to think of them as just these holy individuals but they actually were in they had influence um often profound influence in their own time and in their own culture. So they are historical figures. They aren't just mythological characters. They, right. they, they are real people. Now, some of them have tended to be, especially when they're religious nuns and people like this or priests or whatever, that their, their sphere of influence was relatively limited. Mm -hmm. But nevertheless, if you remember somebody's name and somebody cares enough to want to promulgate your cause and talk about you 400, 500, 600 years after your death, mm -hmm. you know that you have had an influence, a, a lasting influence. So these are, in a sense, ordinary people who've had lasting influences, mm -hmm. which makes them above and beyond their role in Catholicism interesting. You know, right. why, why would this person have be remembered four or 500 years later? You know, that, that because most of us will fade into obscurity within a generation. Right. And yet we still have these people who may not have been world players in the sense of being on the world stage, but yet they still have this profound influence. The other part about this book is that there's 16 saints in it, and I tried to equally divide them between men and women. Mm -hmm. And I wanted to cover all the 2000 years of, of Christian history because they're going to be saints after all. Uh, and I wanted ethnic diversity. So we've got, you know, people of color, we've got people, you know, from as, as far as I could do so from all around the world, because I wanted to show that these people, saints, are, are simply ordinary people with a, with this, laser focus. Mm -hmm. And their laser focus was on their spirituality. Right. Some people have laser focus on wealth or on fame or on whatever. But sure. these, these people had their laser focus on spirituality and they lived out their spirituality within the context of Catholicism. 
Right. But I am completely convinced that these people, had they not been Catholic, had they not, would have been had that same laser focus on their spirituality in a different tradition. Right. Because that's what they are. That's who they are, and that's what their their whole focus and purpose in, in their being was to intersect with that other world with the divine so so you brought us- up a couple of pieces in there that i want to just sort of put a pause on for a moment because i think it's important i think that traditionally speaking particularly um maybe maybe for many christians but certainly for people who are not of that faith I think there's a lot of um, conviction that, falsely, but a conviction that uh, saints were white men. And, you know, so that's why I'm glad you brought up, you know, you wanted to bring people up from, you know, who were saints around the world, and you've tried to do women and men. Um, so just can you address that, that bias? for a moment, because I think that that's an important thing before we get into who your guests were at the dinner party. (laughs) The bias is a function, as is many things in the world, of wealth. Mm. Because the process of becoming a saint, at least in the last many centuries, is time-consuming and expensive because someone has to keep the cause going someone has to keep that name up and keep investigating you know did this person have you know what was their life like and an investigation it takes time energy and money to keep mm. this going so who had time energy and money well men monks and nuns and people in religious life and they tended to be white men i mean that so you've got clerics and cardinals and people. Well, they have the resources of the whole Catholic Church behind them or between mm-hmm. or their religious order to keep that going. Now, if your grandmother was a wonderful saintly person, you know, your grandchildren, her grandchildren are very unlikely to want to keep her name going to the point that they're going to dedicate their lives and their their income and everything else to seeing that she's receives an honorific title in the Catholic Church. It still happens to a certain extent. Uh, the Native American Black Elk of Black Elk Speaks is on his way to sainthood because his grandchildren felt that that part of his story was so undertold that they have kept his cause alive. And he is in the process, he was a Catholic and he is oh. in the process of becoming named a saint. So Black Elk is in the process of becoming made a saint by yes. the Catholic Church. Yes. Because, so, but he, how long ago did he pass? Well, 100 years or so, maybe. That's fairly recent, though, isn't it? It is very recent. In the context of how long it takes normally. I mean, yes. so it, it, I guess the first question here is, because the qualification for saint, I believe it's not the truth. I'll say I might be way off. Um, is two miracles proven and verified? Used to be, from my understanding, is that not the case? The the pro- sainthood is a process, right? 
it's not just those two miracles. It starts out, um, if somebody has led an exemplary life and is, you know, a good person, then their local, their priest or their bishop can uh, say that they can be called a, a servant of God. And that just simply means this was a good person. And yeah, yeah we all recognize that. No miracle is required for that, just a servant of God. Um, then the next step is if nothing comes up to, you know, you didn't discover they had hidden bodies in the backyard or something, then, <laughs> they, then they can become known as venerable. And that means that locally, like the people in their church or something could um, pay attention to them and, and honor them. Still again, no miracles needed. Then the mm -hmm. next step is called blessed. Okay. And blessed somebody who's named blessed has to have one miracle attributed to them mm. in order to be named blessed and a lot of saints get just there they stay i mean they just they get to be blessed and that's where they are um, and it doesn't go any further forward because no one is actively seeking out other miracles or whatever is going on they just remain blessed mm -hmm. if there's a a second miracle that's attributed to them that's verified then they can be named a saint in modern times the miracles are virtually always uh, medical because medical can be verified and the panels that examine the miracles are not catholic the, the doctors on it are not catholic they're from all different faiths so that there's no bias toward it so that you have a radiologist who looks at the, the you know the x-rays who isn't implicitly looking to see if this person is a saint they're just a radiologist who's given the records and said look right. at me, what do you see here so that's why they're most of the time that they're considered they have to be medical miracles so the process of sainthood is not supposed to begin until 50 years after the person dies. Right. Because that gives you enough time to dig the bodies up, you know, and find out if there was something going on. Right. Unfortunately, in modern times, that has been truncated a bit so that Pope John Paul II was fast-tracked into sainthood, as was Mother Teresa of Calcutta and a few other people, which has created some issues because Pope John Paul II, who was fast-tracked, now it's coming out that he had more knowledge about some of the uh, clerics who were involved in abuse mm -hmm. than was known before. Had they waited the 50 years, traditionally, those things probably would have come out. And so that's why the church had historically has said, we don't want to fast-track people because you get too caught up in the emotion of it. So when you asked how long ago Black Elk died, he had to have died. I, I think it was Ogalasu. I, I don't know his history terribly well. Maybe very early 1900s. Mm. So he's had, you know, well over a hundred years. Right. Um, to examine his life and his teachings and 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 what he did um and he's a perfect example of, of somebody who who the way the process is supposed to work I mean, he was a historical figure he was somebody that we know and and you know i can remember reading black elk speaks when i was in college you know because mm -hmm. of his, his teachings which had 
at the time, I had no idea he was Catholic. And his, his Catholicism influenced him, but it didn't make him something other than he was, which was a product of his people and his time and his history and his culture and all of those kind of things. But again, and that's what you've been saying all along, right? Is that, you know, these are not isolated. These are not people who are isolated from their time. No. They may be, they may, they may live, may live exemplarily, what's the word? Exemplarily. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> Thank you. I'm glad you said it. Um, but the, they're still a product of the time. I mean, Martin Luther King, as an example, you know, is, is a product of his time. Did he live an extraordinarily, extraordinary life in the context of um, civil rights? Absolutely. But he's a product of his time as is Malcolm X at exactly the same time. The process was different, but they are products of their time. And it's, it's so interesting the way we wanna keep things separate. So now when we talk about this dinner with the saints, you know, um, having this dinner party with the saints is, why do, so, you know, you talked about uh, that these people were people of influence in their time. Um, why will we, as people who are not of the, that faith, find it such a fascinating read? Because it is. Well, first of all, I created a story that I love. There's a storyline that goes all the way through it, mm -hmm. that, that uh, these people are all waiting for the honored guests to arrive. And I won't reveal the ending, but they're all waiting for the honored guests to arrive at this heavenly banquet. And so I'm hoping that it's just a fun read for people, that they enjoy the story and how the, the saints from these various times are interacting so that I have I have two saints, um, Augustine and, and another saint, who are discussing the merits of uh, football. American football and soccer football. And, you know, in the end of this conversation, they, they both realized that, well, they never played either game. So why are they talking about this? You know, so it's just kind of a, a, a I hope a fun read, you know, for people. Right. And it also contains kind of historical information about it. Um, what I hope people take away from this, my, my main purpose in writing it was to when people finish reading the book, I hope they come away with the idea that what's important is not so much doctrine or dogma or all of these things, but the fundamental question that we all have to be asked and we all have to ask ourselves is, did I love? Mm -hmm. And that's the fundamental question. And that's the, that's for me where it all comes together. You say, did I love? So, so I actually, I really, really appreciate that because I think that, you know, you and I have talked about this in, in the work that we've done together, um, is what is the central message of the thing, whatever the thing is. And, and you know, you and I have had these very philosophical conversations around this because now we get to, okay, did I love? Everybody's going to say, yeah. But that's not what you're really asking. So tell us what you're really asking, because that's that's the, that's the that's the the theme. But it's always like, well, what's underneath that? What are you really asking? It's not the emotion of love. It's not did I feel 
affection for someone in my life or did I have warm fuzzy feelings toward other people or animals or whatever it is you have warm fuzzy feelings toward but it's was I willing to put in the effort and the sacrifice and the work to make myself the best possible person I could be and then show that face to other people in the best possible way. So I believe that, and again, like you always say, it's what I believe. It's not necessarily the truth. It's just what I believe. But I believe that the only way that you truly love is to work on yourself and to make sure that you become the best and most authentic person you can be. And in doing so, then your interactions with other people will be coming from a place of authenticity, which is where love is rooted and grounded. And so only authentic people can really love. Everyone else can feel emotions, but emotions are fleeting. Yes. And love is love is hard and love mm -hmm. is work. And love is not just showing up for other people, but showing up for yourself. And you and I've talked about how hard that is and how much work has Oops. to be done internally and how it's an ongoing process and it never stops. Mm -hmm. And that work that you have to do on yourself is where we ground love. So uh, I guess St. Melania was right. Be best. <laughs> well, maybe. <laughs> <laughs> but it's, I mean, it's about being your best. It's about but being being willing to be curious about yourself and examine yourself in order to to come at the world and to come at how you interact with others from that place of willing to love beyond the, the limitations of what you perceive love to be um because we are all holding it in a in a limited context that's got very little to do with the truth uh it's fascinating and love is, I think someone said once that, you know, love, love is a verb, not a noun. Yes. And that it's ever changing mm -hmm. and it's evolving. Deepening and, and evolving. Yeah. And to come back to the saints, I think that that's one thing that all of the saints realized and recognized is that love is an evolutionary process in their lives and that they kept always striving toward finding that core that pushed them toward deeper love now they did it within the context of of catholicism sure. and that's you know i mean if this the book dinner party with the saints really doesn't go into doctrine or dogma or piety or anything that's not where we go no um, in fact i have a section on each saints that i call legend lore and miracles where i basically say if you want to believe these things about the saints feel free but they're probably not true right. they're probably legends and feel free to believe them if you like but sure. but they're not they're not history right. and they're not his, his, historical so the saints did the saints in this book did really intriguing things like um 
one of my favorites is Lydia. She was the first convert to Christianity in Europe. Oh. And she's mentioned, I think, three times in the book of Acts, just a couple lines. We don't know very much about her. I'm sure she would have been written out by the men if she could possibly have been written out, but she wasn't because she was the first. But what. So when would this be, this time frame? Do we know? Um, about, about 30 years after, no, about 30 years after Jesus. Okay. About. So, so that's before uh, the meeting of Antioch. And, yes. and the and the editing of the Bibles. Yes. So, is that why she's only mentioned fleetingly? Do you think that she was maybe edited? Because you know we know that powerful women were edited and changed. Uh, you know, there's very little mention of 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 the uh, Jesus's mother Mary in any other way than being a vessel. Right. Um, Mary Magdalene is basically very badly misinterpreted by most people um you know so saint lydia you know uh, if she's mentioned is she only mentioned in passing because of that i'm just asking your opinion i i would suspect so because lydia lydia was a seller of purple um purple is the dye that was used to color the garments of the emperor and the royalty of rome And it's made from these little mollusks, these little snail-like things, that it takes something like 10,000 of these poor little creatures to make a gram of dye. And a gram of dye would dye like the hem of a garment. And so, and I think a gram of dye sold for something like $3,000 or $4,000 in modern terms. So Lydia, Lydia was fabulously wealthy. I mean, she was a very, very wealthy woman. Mm-hmm. And she's she has no husband mentioned. She has no father mentioned. She's simply her own, and it says it's her own household and her own business. She also is the only person recorded in Scripture that I can find that ever won an argument with Saint Paul. And so I think she was probably they couldn't completely edit her out because she was the first convert, but they probably didn't really want to put a whole lot of emphasis on her. The way that it happened with Paul was that he had converted, she had, had converted to Catholic or Christianity. There was no Catholicism at the time, converted to Christianity and invited Paul and Timothy to stay with her. And they demurred. They said, no, 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 we're going to go on. And so she said, well, if you believe that my conversion and my baptism was valid, you'll stay with me. If you don't believe that my conversion and baptism were valid, why did you baptize me? <laughs> Okie dokie. And so there's this little line that says that Timothy and Paul withdrew and came back and agreed. She prevailed upon us, is how the wording of the scripture says. Well, you know, what are you going to do with a woman who is a multimillionaire? entrepreneur you know you can't and the first christian convert you can't really completely wipe her away but you just can kind of minimize her minimize her to to but she's one of the people that i just love i mean i just think that she's just just fabulous and and uh you know what a an amazing woman i wish we knew more about her because certainly she was would have been a powerhouse in her time yeah i'm i I wonder if there's uh 
the next book is Christian Saints and Entrepreneurs. <laughs> there were a few. Right. There were, there were yeah. a few. There were a yeah. few that were very successful entrepreneurs. And but again, this is part of the biases, right? We have these idea of saints being these these white men in robes who are so poor who you know living with the birds uh can't you know live on a, a bowl of something a, a day and whip themselves every night at 10 o'clock i mean you know that's kind of the the ongoing bias and then you started talking about you know uh i was gonna say princess i apologize uh, saint lydia you know, who is this fabulously wealthy, single uh, entrepreneurial woman who is clearly very bright and goes toe to toe intellectually with, you know, again, not just um, religious uh, people in high religious standing, but as you've talked about, people of high influence and, and probably high intellect and, and very bright, she goes toe to toe with them. So again, this, I love this idea of this book is revealing these people as something more than those caricatures, really. Well, then another one that I love, another one of my favorites in the book that, that fits right into this caricature that we have is Martin Dupour's. He was uh, from Lima, Peru. His father was a Spanish nobleman and his mother was uh, half black and half indigenous Peruvian. So he was very much marginalized, very, very, very much marginalized. His father would not recognize him or his sister and he was you know, badly mistreated. And even though he, ended, he entered a, a monastery, he was never allowed full rights. And they, you know, they were cruel to him, even the religious brothers and the monastery were very cruel to him but here's the interesting thing so we have all these stories about him you know and that he did miracles and all the you know kind of traditional saintly kind of things what i love about him is that he apparently had a, a real gift for healing and you and i know that there are people who do have the ability to kind of uh, i don't know wake up our our physical systems or whatever, they can help facilitate healings in ways that are not always completely understandable. Mm -hmm. Well, Martin didn't limit his use to humans. He used to go out on the streets of Peru, of Lima, and find feral dogs and cats who were injured and starving and hurt, and he would heal them. Mm. He, would, he would use his, his ability to restore health and then he would gather them up and he would take them to his sister's house she had a house in the country and i think she should be a saint too and he would leave them there where she would feed them and they would be restored back to health and then they would find homes for them so in essence this man created and his sister created the first humane society i was gonna say yeah it's like the spca of peru yeah it was the first spca of of uh, in the you know in in history because his, his compassion for life didn't just extend to human life. I mean, he right. took care of these other things. Now, do we know anything? Do we know that? That's one of these little tiny obscure facts. It's in the history. I mean, it's recorded, but we don't know that about them. And so when I think about St. Martin de Pours, I don't think about, you know, this, this saint who, who allegedly could levitate and do all these things. I think about this 
guy who himself had been badly mistreated and hurt going out on the streets and seeing this poor little dog and saying oh poor little thing we're going to go take me over to you my sister will take care of you Mm. (laughs) you know and picking it up and taking it out so and i and that's what makes me say yeah that's that's love that's what love is that's seeing the face of the divine and seeing the the importance of creation in this what would have been considered just worthless trash literally not even worthless human trash but even less than that and he saw value in that but again based on what you've just said you know he was giving those animals what he would have needed as a child exactly yes he was treated as trash and needed somebody to pick him up and give him the love and support him and he transposed that over onto the, those those small animals and did those beautiful things. Uh, as you and I have talked about many times, you know, the pain is the healing. The pain is the purpose. It, it's it's what pushes us to a to either repeat the cycle or to heal the cycle. And uh, you know, he's a great example of having healed that cycle. And to have stopped it, you know, yeah. to, to yeah. have 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 end the suffering transmuted his suffering into not just assisting the suffering of humans but assisting the suffering of of all of creation and that's another thing that people are not always aware of when you really get into the lives of the saints and and i think that is an aspect of their lives that can be of interest to people who aren't catholic is that most of them many but not you know, I mean, many did, but but most saints didn't spend their whole lives trying to defend Catholic doctrine. The famous ones did, you know, mm-hmm. because that's the ones that have come down in history. But most of them spent their lives healing their own wounds and trying to heal those wounds in other people. That's it. And a wonderful example is Josephine Bakita. She's in the book. Mm-hmm. She was the daughter of a chief from Sudan and was taken into captivity, taken into slavery and was badly, badly mistreated. I mean, horribly mistreated as a slave. Her life story has some complications, but she ended up being sold to an Italian who took her to Italy and put her in a convent to store her till he was ready to go back to Africa and start up a business. Well, while she was in the convent, now, the saints are supposed to be demure, you know, accept whatever comes your way, you know, allow suffering, all of those good things. While she was in the convent, she learned that slavery was illegal in Italy at the time. So when her owner came back and said, well, we're going back now to to Africa and, you know, pack up your bags, time to go back. She said, oh, no, I'm a free woman. You took me to Italy and I'm a free woman. And he was like, no, 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 no. And she said, oh, no, I'm a free woman. I'm free now. I can do what I want because I'm in Italy. And she took him to court and won. And so she won. And so, you know, do you think what's a saint supposed to do? Be demure and quiet and no, no, no. She took she took her former owner to court. She said, and the courts agreed, yeah, there's no slavery in Italy. You don't have to go back. You're not a slave anymore. So then she spent the rest of her life educating young women on their rights so saying, she was she was part of the women's movement in in a sense yes yeah of course she was she was an original 
she was, you know, yeah, she, she did eventually stay in the convent where she was because of course that would give her a sense of security and that's where she was. But she spoke often about the need for, for women and young girls to stand up for their own rights. And she did, you know, and this was in the 1800s. So, you know, she healed her wound by paving the way for other people. So no one who was enslaved in Italy at the time, because of that court order, they were all freed, even if they had been slaves in another country because of Amazing. So, you know, an influence, an unknown but influential woman. Absolutely. That's fantastic. We're already at the end of this section. This is, I mean, just like, this is so, so cool and so fascinating to have these, this understanding of, you know, people from history with the label, of course, of uh, saint, but to see this, uh, these people in a much broader sense is so fabulous and I know that that's where you've gone with the book is you've allowed people to see them in conversation with each other <clears throat> outside of their own times uh, in their own times and from where they were so thank you for that I'm, I'm excited to get into the next part of the of the show and for you dear listener uh, I hope you'll come back and be with us and and stay curious my friends stay curious as we dive deeper into dinner with the saints with the fabulous the great, uh, knowledgeable Woodin, as we talk about her book, we talk about her background in Egyptology, in the Catholic faith, in being a, uh, really a very knowledgeable human being in all these different areas. And also on top of that, she is my dear friend, as well as the Dove Whisperer. We'll be back in just a moment. Stay curious, my friends. Stay curious. Stay curious.